Chapter 21 of Stormy Misty's Foal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. Stormy Misty's Foal by Marguerite Henry. Section 21 A Grave Decision. That night, when the pony ranch had simmered down into a semblance of peace, Maureen brought out the birth announcements and piled them on the kitchen table. She and Paul were alone. Grandpa had gone to an emergency meeting of the pony penning committee, and Grandma was attending the evening church service. "'You put the date on,' Paul said to Maureen. "'You write better than me. Besides, I got some important thinking to do.' Oh? Paul flicked open his pocket knife and began working on a block of wood. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Maureen dip her pen in the ink bottle and wait with it poised in the air. I declare, Paul Beebe, you can be downright mean. What are you thinking? And you can be such a girl, Paul said in disdain, always poking and prying. All right, I won't ask. "'Cause I already know. So there. "'What do you know? "'You're trying to think of the right name for Misty's baby. "'Okay, then. "'I reckon you got what Grandpa calls women's tuition. "'Now you know what's occupying my mind. "'Why don't you keep quiet and do your work?' "'Sunday, March 11, 6 a.m. "'Maureen wrote again and again until her fingers were tired. "'At last, Paul was ready to talk.' There's three ways to do it. One is by her markings. Like new moon or white stockings, Paul? Uh-huh. And the second way is by using her family's names, like Misty Wings or Pied Phantom. And what's the third way, Paul? Just then, Grandpa's truck roared into the yard, brakes screeching. Grandpa himself banged into the house like a Fourth of July firecracker, he threw his hat on the peg, then, with both hands, began rubbing the bristles in his ears. I say there's got to be a pony pennon this year, like Alice, he stormed. Why, it's the oldest roundup in America. We just can't let folks down cause of a little flood. Why, come July and roundup time, folks are going to pack their night things and set out for Chincoteague, hoping to give their kids a real holiday. And they're going to drive for miles and miles, and when they get here, no holiday, no pony penning. He snorted in disgust. I won't hear to it. I just... Grandpa, Paul interrupted, who says there won't be a pony penning? Why, the mayor's committee and the firemen, they say ain't enough wild ponies left over to Ossetig to make it exciting, and no money in the treasury to buy new ones. What's more, he bellowed, they're right, but I ain't told them so. Cause without ponies, this here island is dead. Do you think folks come here to see oysters and clams and biddies? No, Grandpa. You're dead right, they don't. They come to see wild ponies swimming across the channel and feuding and fratching in the pens. Pony penning day, that's what they come for. Can't see it nowhere else in the world. Paul and Maureen were aghast. July without pony penning was unthinkable. 
All year I've been answering letters about Misty, Maureen said, and in every one I invited people to come to pony penning, people from all over the United States, even one to Alaska. Paul broke in, and this year folks will come special on purpose to see Misty's baby. Grandpa began pacing, thinking out loud. If only we had the ponies. If only the town council could buy back some of the colts that was auctioned off last year and the year afore that. He quickened his pace. Why, we could load them onto a big old barge and chug em across the channel to Assateague. Then they'd go wild again, just like they'd never left. Now he spoke out with great conviction. Why, then we could put up one of the greatest pony pennies in Chincoteague history. Grandpa ran out of breath. He gulped for more. But all that'd take a heap of money, he sighed. Maybe, Maureen said excitedly, maybe Paul and me could earn a lot of money like we did to buy Misty's mother. We could rake clams or help people clean up their houses. Paul looked pityingly at his sister. When you going to grow up, Maureen? Why, it took us three whole months to earn enough to buy just one mare and her colt. Besides, folks here lost most everything in the flood. They can't afford to hire us. Paul's right, honey. But Grandpa, Paul asked, even if we had the money, would people sell back their ponies? Likely, some would be right anxious to help, Grandpa replied, and some would sell for other reasons. A lucky thing, me and the fire company got a record at each sale, and if only half them people say yes, that'd give us the start we need. Grandpa suddenly remembered that his feet hurt. He collapsed into the nearest chair and began unlacing his Sunday shoes. Can't abide him, he grumbled. I just stormed out in that meeting afore it was done, half cause my hackles was up and half cause my shoes squinched me. The phone rang insistently. You answer, Paul. There's another thing I can't abide. Phone talking. A contraption of the devil. It's for you, Grandpa. It's the mayor, and he sounds real important. Grandpa thudded to the phone. Halloa, he bellowed. Grandpa doesn't need a phone, Paul snickered. He could just open a window. Shush, Maureen put up a finger, listening. Who called you, Grandpa questioned. There was a pause. What in Tunket he want? Another pause. He did? Paul and Maureen looked inquiringly at each other. Well, great jumping Jehoshaphat. Now ain't that nice. What's that you say? A long pause. Still holding the receiver, Grandpa turned and looked penetratingly at Paul and Maureen. His voice sobered. Sure, I like the idea, Mayor, but taint for me to say. I'll have to put it to Paul and Maureen and get their yes or no. The colt, nor Misty neither. They ain't mine, you know. Grandpa hung up the receiver and walked back to the table, collecting his thoughts. Paul and Maureen stared at him, unable to ask the question except with their eyes. Grandpa hummed and hawed. Now I ain't a going to influence you, he said. It's your druthers and no one else's. But what is it? You see, uh, it's this way. One of the big chiefs from the movie company that made Misty's picture, he just telephoned the mayor long distance from his home, mind you. What did he want? Maureen asked, 
Does he want to make a picture of Misty's baby? Stop interrupting, Paul scolded. Let Grandpa finish. Well, Grandpa went on, seems he'd been reading about the storm and how so many ponies had drowned, and he wants to do something to help. Why, he's willing to let theaters borrow the picture of Misty Free. That is, if the money taken in goes to build up the lost hearts. Paul did a flying leap over his chair. That's great, Grandpa. You don't have to get our okay on that. But I ain't told you the colonel yet, Grandpa explained. You see, the mayor and the council wants to start a disaster fund and call it the Misty Disaster Fund. Grandpa stroked his chin and a far look crept into his eyes. They want to cast Misty in the biggest role of her life, even bigger than being a star in a movie. The children listened, speechless. Even bigger, Grandpa added, than birth in a colt. What could be bigger? Maureen asked. They want Misty and her young'un to make a personal tour wherever her picture is playing and go right spang up onto the stage. And part of the ticket money will be used to tidy up the island, but most of it to buy back the ponies. Mind you, it'll all have to start right away, maybe in two weeks. That is, if there's to be a roundup this year. Paul turned to his sister. What do you say, Maureen? Maureen's face clouded, and she thought carefully before replying, If Misty's baby wasn't so new and tiny, I'd say yes. Paul picked up the block of wood and his knife and made a few fierce jabs. Exactly the way I feel. He looked at Maureen. Of course, it'd be fun to be excused from school and all. Mostly it'd be on Saturdays, Grandpa said dryly. But suppose, Paul was serious now, suppose they caught the ship in fever or bad coughs from traveling and going in and out of hot theaters or even broke a leg. All three of them lapsed into silence. No one knew what to say. Maureen screwed the cap onto the ink bottle as if she would never have need of it again. Paul threw his piece of wood into the stove and closed his knife. The silence was a growing power. Grandpa sat down and crossed his arms, using his paunch as a ledge. He looked up at the ceiling and across at the clock. He picked up one of the birth announcements and studied it. The corners of his mouth twisted into a smile of sympathy and understanding. It'd be chancy, he admitted, mighty chancy. But suppose, Paul spoke slowly, earnestly, Suppose we let Misty and the colt go to just one theater, and if they come home feeling frisky, they could go again. But if they got sick or were off their feed for just one day, they'd never have to go again. Grandpa's eyes shone like twin meteors. Sometimes I think you two is the living image of me. I'm so proud of you I could strut like one of our peacocks in full sail, I'll take it up with the council. First thing in the bong, bong. The clock struck the hour of ten, and with the last bong, the telephone rang shrilly. Grandpa clapped a hand to his forehead, then grabbed for his shoes. Great balls of fire. I plumb forgot to pick up your grandma from the meeting house. You answer, Maureen. I'm gone. End of chapter 21.